0: Can we prepare our hearts with a word of prayer as we prepare to go to God's Word together? Let's, let's pray for a moment. Precious Savior, we thank You for Your Word. And it is the foundation that we desperately need. We're founded in Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross for us. We, we praise You and thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You for the living Word. We thank You for Your written Word. And Lord, I pray that that we'd be a people who honor and glorify You by, by pursuing a knowledge and an understanding of Your Word and then an application of Your Word to our lives and then obedience flowing from our understanding of Your Words and our love for You. Father, I pray that you would grow us and encourage us and teach us this morning. Teach us through your word with the power of your Holy Spirit, taking your word and using it as that double edged sword that it is. Pierce to our souls, Lord. Pierce to our hearts with your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 this morning. If you'd turn there with me in your copies of God's word. We're going to be going to verses 3 through 6 this morning, but before we go there, I want to kind of backtrack just a little bit to remind you where we were last week. In verses 1 and 2 in chapter 2 of 1 John, last week, we noted that John gives believers who sin some very good news that it's possible. First of all, we learned it's possible to not sin. But when we do sin, we have this reminder as well. In verses 1 and 2, we have this reminder that we do not lose our salvation. Some may be concerned about that. You may have heard some say, oh, you sin, you need to get saved again. But when we sin, God's Word is very clear that when we sin, we don't lose our salvation. We still have a Heavenly Father who does not disown us. And we learn too that we have an Advocate And that is Jesus Christ who is with the Father. And that Advocate, Jesus Christ, pleads our case with the Father, and He's the only One who can. You need to know, Jesus Christ is the only One who can plead your case and mine before the Father because Jesus Christ is the righteous One, the sinless One. Jesus Christ is the only One who who can make forgiveness of sins possible. He's the only one who makes it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins. And it's true because He's already taken the punishment that pays for the penalty for our sins. He's the one who's paid the price for the penalty for all of our sins. That's why we call Him, in in verse 2, in 1 John chapter 2, calls Him our propitiation. And as we come to verses 3 through 6 this morning, I want you to look at these statements that we find from John. Look with me at verse 3 in 1 John chapter 2. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whosoever, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And verse 5, But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Go back to verse 3 again. In verse 3 again, John says, And by this we can know that we have come to know Him. Now what is this that John speaks of when he speaks of, and first I want to deal with this thought here of knowing Him. What is this that John speaks of when he speaks of coming to know Him? That is Christ. Christ and we're speaking of Christ here because in verses 1 and 2 John is speaking of Christ he is the propitiation says verse 2 for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the the whole world and by this we by this we know that we have come to know him Jesus Christ but what is this that John speaks of knowing him on uh, Thursday, when we left for the men's retreat, um, Jerry Mills offered to lead the way because he had a different way of going than I had ever heard of before. And he explained it to me and gave me all the, the names of roads, and, and I just as quickly forgot all of them. Um, and and I said, well, you lead the way, and I'll follow you, and I'll learn a new way, because it's, if it's faster, I want to know it. And um, so we followed him. I followed him over there, and and uh, and then on Saturday I said, I want to follow you back because I want to make sure I've got it. you know Because I'm not sure I could lead the way back and make sure I make every turn right. So we followed him back. When we got back, I knew the way. When he was standing in the parking lot telling me about the way, or maybe it was Wednesday, he was telling me about the directions. I didn't know the way. He was just telling me about it. I knew of the way to the, to the, the, the camp, that new way that I hadn't gone before. But I didn't know it until I had actually driven it. And once I'd driven it twice, I really knew it. And I'm sure I could get back going that way now, because now I know the way. Is John talking here about knowing about Jesus? Or is he talking about knowing Jesus in a way that's different than just knowing about Jesus? Um, it's kind of like the commercial you've probably seen it too. The guy's on the phone. He's sitting at his kitchen table, and it looks like I think he's in a t-shirt or something. He's got a couple of butter knives on the table, and he's on the phone with his surgeon, and the surgeon is telling him how to operate on himself. And he's holding a butter knife, kind of looking at it like, you know, with this. And the uh, guy says uh, to his surgeon, "Shouldn't you be doing this?" <laughs> and the surgeon's real confident. Oh no, you can handle it. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, call me if you need any help. Uh, you know, it's one thing to know about surgery, isn't it? It's a completely different thing to go to medical school and to get practice and to see, you know, to practice and then before you ever see a human being, right? And then, and then to actually do a few surgeries, it's a whole, whole different ball game, isn't it? To have your surgeon on the phone and say, make an incision here, make sure you don't go too far because you might hit a, a vital organ, do this, do that. It's one thing to know about surgery, isn't it? It doesn't make a difference whether you stayed in a, in a uh, what is it, the Holiday Inn Express or not, right? It's possible to know about Christ, isn't it? And not know him. It's possible to know lots of things about Christ and not truly know Christ. It's possible, isn't it, to have a head knowledge about Christ and to never really, and this is what John's talking about, and to never really be saved. What John's talking about here when he talks about knowing Christ, he's talking about being saved. Trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior. Being saved by Christ is the kind of knowing that John is speaking of here. He's not talking about you know, having somebody tell you about the directions, but you really don't have it clear yet. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about you know, your surgeon telling you over the phone how to do surgery on yourself That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something totally different. He's talking about something far greater than just a head knowledge. Let me give you an example from from the New Testament and and one man in particular. Uh, Think of Judas. I think of Judas as a prime example to this. Judas is... I was going to say, Judas is a wonderful illustration. Judas is an illustration, okay, not a wonderful illustration, but Judas is an illustration of this truth. That it's possible to know about Christ and not know Christ. And to not know saving faith. To not trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's possible to know about Christ, but not have come to know Him as your Lord and Savior as john says think about judas judas spent much time with jesus didn't he one of the 12 was with jesus did jesus know did, did judas know jesus you would say well yeah judas knew jesus he knew who he was he he spent time with him he knew about him he probably knew a lot about him he certainly knew who jesus was and he knew much about him but did jesus have a belief in jesus that went beyond mere head knowledge well, I have to look at the Scriptures for that answer, and I don't find any evidence in the Scriptures that tells me that Judas had anything more than a head knowledge about Jesus. We see no evidence from the Scripture that indicates that Judas was a believer, and in that sense, he had not come to know Christ. And there are some indicators from God's Word that point to the fact that Judas was not a believer. For starters, Jesus called Judas A devil. A devil. John chapter 6, verse 70, Jesus answered him, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And verse 71, He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. We know this from Acts 1, verse 25, it says of Judas that he turned aside to go to his own place, and that is not talking about heaven. And John chapter 17, verse 12, calls him the son of perdition, or the English Standard Version says the son of destruction. Well, Judas didn't know Jesus, he did, not, did not know him in the way that a believer in Jesus Christ knows Jesus. Can you know about Jesus and not know Jesus as your Savior? Yes. Certainly, many atheists, many self-professed unbelievers know a lot about Jesus, but they have not come to know Him. So John's statement here in verse 3 brings up some important questions for us too. In particular, I'm thinking of, if it's possible to know about Christ, but not have truly come to know Him, can I be sure of my salvation? And if so, how? If it's possible to know about Christ and to have a head knowledge of Christ, to know about Jesus and not really know Him as Lord and Savior, can I be sure of my salvation? How can I know I'm saved? And if so, tell me how. (laughs) It's precisely what John is writing about in these verses. To the question of can I be sure of my salvation, John says, Yes, you can be sure of your salvation. We can be assured of our salvation, says John, right at the beginning of verse 3. Look at it again, verse 3. By this we know, right? That we have come to know Him. And then in verse 5 he says that, look at verse 5, By this we may know that we are in Him. First, I want you to note that it is a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful blessing from God. It is one of uh, His hands of grace on us that we can be assured of our salvation. We can be certain of our salvation. We need not doubt. We need not fear or wonder whether or not we are God's child. We can know for one thing, we can know that our salvation is based on God's saving work through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's why John reminds us back in verse 2 that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. And that's an important word. And I, again, again, I come, when we come to that word, I want to explain to you why that's important. I quoted J.I. Packer last week who helps us understand the, the wonder and beauty of Christ, our propitiation, when he says this. And I think it's a really helpful description, so I share it with you again. Packer says, Christ assumed our identity as it were and endured the retributive retributive judgment due to us as our substitute in our place with the damning record of our transgressions nailed by God to His cross as the tally of crimes for which He was now dying. Jesus Christ is our propitiation. We can know that we can know that we can know Christ because Christ paid the price for our sins. He took the punishment for our sins. The debt is paid in full. It's satisfied. And repeatedly in God's Word, we're reminded that we are secure in Christ because of His sacrifice on our behalf. He doesn't have to be sacrificed again. Once was sufficient. It was completely satisfactory. It's paid in full. Nothing has to happen again for Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sins. It's done. But there's something else that John speaks of here that's going to help assure us, that that will help us know that we know Christ and that we are in Christ, that we are truly saved. How can a person who sins know they are saved? That's the question, isn't it? Often, people who struggle with assurance of salvation struggle with the fact that they still sin. How can a person who sins know that they're saved? John says in our passage that there's some evidence that either confirms our salvation or condemns us that we are not saved. There is evidence that either confirms us that we know Christ and we are in Christ, or there's this evidence that condemns us that we do not know Christ and that we are not in Christ. What is the evidence that John says will be evident in the life of one who truly knows Christ and is secure in Christ Here's some evidence. Look at the latter part of verse 3 again. Look at the statement. If we keep His commandments. There's some evidence for whether or not you're in Christ. If we keep His commandments. Here's some evidence as to whether or not you're truly saved. If we keep His commandments. Now look at verse 5. Where it says, Whoever keeps His word. And then go to verse 6. Verse 6 says, Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You You can know that you are saved. You can know that you know Christ and are secure in Christ. What is the evidence that will confirm this? John says we can know by this. We can know by this. The one who knows Christ is saved. The one who knows Christ... That person who is saved keeps God's commandments. That person who knows Christ and is saved keeps His Word, God's Word, obeys God's commandments, obeys His Word. And that person who knows Christ and is saved walks in the same way in which Christ walked. I want to put it in the negative Here, Because he says you can know that you don't know Christ if the evidence of your life reveals that you don't do something. What is that? Verse 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Can I just say that that seems pretty clear-cut, doesn't it? Keeps his commandments, walks as Jesus walked, believer. Doesn't keep his commandments, unbeliever. A true believer keeps God's commandments. A true believer obeys God's Word and walks in the way Christ walked. A true believer obeys God's Word and makes Christ their example and lives in the way Jesus Christ lived. And an unbeliever is revealed in that he or she does not keep, doesn't obey God's commands, doesn't obey God's Word, and doesn't live their life as Christ lived His life. But in those statements... In those statements, there is a problem that we all face. Those who say, I'm a believer, I've trusted Christ, I want to live for Him. In those statements, there's this problem that we all face. It's our enemy. Remember our enemy? Remember your enemy? You said it. Sin. We sin. We don't always keep God's Word. Do we? We don't always obey God's commands. Do we? We don't always live as Christ lived. Do we? So are we not saved? How can we know we're saved? If we still sin. And here's how we're assured of our salvation. You and I need to be encouraged and to know for one thing, we need to go back to verses 1 and 2 that reminds us, little children, Paul John writes, he says, I don't want you to sin. God doesn't want you to sin. He's writing to believers, right? Remember that from last week we say, He's writing to believers. He's saying, I'm writing these things, verse 1, to you so that you may not sin. I don't want you to sin. God doesn't want you to sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. He's pleading your case. And that advocate is Jesus Christ. And He's the righteous. He's the sinless One. And that sinless One is a propitiation for our sins. He's the replacement. He paid the price He he took God's just judgment, God's just wrath on Himself. God poured it out on His Son poured it all out on Him. He's the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. God's wrath on His own Son. Jesus Christ taking the punishment for the sins of the whole world, capable of, of... of paying the price for every person in the world who would confess that they are sinners and believe in Jesus Christ. We can be assured of our salvation, and we may be discouraged about our sin, but we shouldn't think that we're not saved because we sin. It's not, and this is a very important thought here, it's not in the perfection of our living that we find assurance. <laughs> but it's in the pursuit of obedience that we realize we're God's child. And let me just put it this way. I would, I would ask you, and I've had people ask me before, I, how can I be sure of my salvation? I, I'm struggling, and I, and I feel guilt, and I, and I struggle with sin. And, and I say, those are signs that you're a believer. You're struggling with sin. You're, you're, you're grieving over sin, and you want, to, you want to know. That's a sign that you know Christ. Have you confessed with your mouth, have you confessed to God that you believe in Jesus Christ, that you are a a sinner in need of Christ, in need of a Savior? Have you come to the point where you realize there is absolutely nothing you will ever do to make you acceptable to God short of trusting in Jesus Christ? Have you gotten to the point where you just realize there is nothing more I can do? I can't be a better person. I can't even be a perfect person. I can't even be a better person. I have to trust in Jesus. I repent of my sin and I trust in Jesus Christ. If you've come to that point in your life where you've trusted Christ and yet you still struggle and sin, I don't say that that's evidence that you're an unbeliever. I say it's a believer, uh, that there's evidence that you're a believer. That God is convicting you of sin. That He is drawing you to Himself and He wants you to obey Him and He doesn't want you to sin. Here's how we can be assured of our salvation. It's not in the perfection of our living, but in the pursuit of obedience. Are you pursuing obedience? And even in using a word like pursuing, there's something that's intoned here, something that's that's intended to get your attention and realize that it's you haven't necessarily caught it yet, have you? We aren't always obedient, are we? We aren't always sinless, are we? We aren't always obeying God's commands, are we? And that's why we need an advocate who is also our propitiation, our replacement for God's just judgment, because we can never be perfect. We can never be Christ, totally, completely Christ-like. But are we pursuing Christ-likeness? We aren't called to perfection. We are called to obedience, aren't we? And those who are true followers of Christ, who have the love of God at work in them, will be obeying, will be pursuing obedience. Warren Wiersbe says of the truths here in our passage that obedience to God's Word is proof of our love for Him. Weersby says there are three motives for obedience, and parents can identify with this, as probably all of us can identify with this. There are three motives for obedience. He says we can obey because we have to, because we need to, or because we want to. And this is the way we learned obedience when we were children. First, we obeyed because we had to. If we didn't obey, we were spanked. But as we grew up, we discovered that obedience meant enjoyment and reward. So we started obeying because it met certain needs in our lives. And it was a mark of real maturity when we started obeying because of love. Wearsby says, "Baby Christians must constantly be warned or rewarded. Mature Christians listen to God's word and obey it simply because they love Him." John First John chapter five and verse three, John says it this way there. he says in 1 John chapter five, verse three, "For this." Is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Do you get that? It's not a burdensome thing to pursue obeying God's commandments. As we grow in our love for God, as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to obey because we love God. And when you do something out of love, that's not a burdensome and difficult thing. The true believer is growing in obedience because he loves God and he wants to please God. He wants to please His Heavenly Father. See, the true believer is by no means perfect. You know that, don't you? A true believer is by no means perfect. But he is no longer in love with his sin. And that's an identifying characteristic between an unbeliever and a believer. As believers, we know that we sin, don't we? We know we struggle with sin. But how do you feel about your sin? You despise it? You hate it? Does it bring guilt when you sin? That's a good sign. I'm not saying that you sin so that you'll be assured of your salvation so I can feel guilt or not. But when you are guilt-ridden over your sin and you hate your sin, that's agreeing with God about your sin because He hates your sin too. And He doesn't want you to sin. And a true believer wants to obey. A true believer wants to follow God's commands. A true believer wants to walk like Jesus walked. I am in no way suggesting that that is easy. Don't be discouraged. It isn't easy, is it? The true believer is not perfect, but he is no longer in love with his sin. That's so important for us to remember. A true believer may may fall at times, may sin, may be weak at times, may still fight with that sin that he or she hates. But that is a key thing, that they hate their sin, that they despise their sin. They want to be rid of it. They want to be free of the bondage of that sin. It is not a burdensome thing for a true follower of Christ to want to obey God. When you begin to trust in Jesus Christ, when you begin to follow God's commands, you will be amazed at how God changes what your desires are. And soon the thing that you thought that was, was so great you'll find just does not hold the attraction that obedience to God does. It may be challenging to obey. There may be struggles, there may be failure, but the one who knows God and is secure in Christ, as Paul says, will fight the fight. Are you fighting the fight? Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, "...but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness." Do you get that? Flee one thing. Pursue the other. Flee sin, right? Flee those things that keep us in bondage to sin. And pursue righteousness, Paul says, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness... And then at the beginning of verse 12, it says, Fight the good fight of the faith. We can know that we know Christ. Amen? We can know that we know Christ. Here are some indicators of your salvation. Here are some indicators that you know Christ and that you are a follower of Christ, that you are saved. First of all, are you broken over your sin? You grieve when you sin. Secondly, are you seeking to know God's Word and knowing God's commands? Do you want to know what God's Word says? Do you want to know what God's commands are? Because a follower of Christ will want to know what His Heavenly Father wants for Him. Are you broken over your sin? Does your sin grieve you? Are you seeking to know God? Know His Word and know His commands? Thirdly, are you praying and asking for God's help? And do you confess your sin? When you become guilt-ridden over your sin and you realize that you have sinned, do you quickly go to God and confess that sin and say, God, I was wrong. I sinned against You. And it grieves my heart. I want to be rid of that. Help me, God, to rid that sin from my life. Do you pray? Do you ask for God's help? Do you confess your sin and ask for God's forgiveness when you sin? Fourthly, are you pursuing obedience? Are you yielding to God? You see, we're not told that we must be perfect, but we are called to pursue obedience, aren't we? Like Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness. Do you find that your heart is drawn to pursuing righteousness? The good news for followers of Christ. And we're reminded of this in verses 1 and 2 here in 1 John chapter 2, but the good news for followers of Christ is that we have all the resources we'll ever need in our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ departed and left the confines of earth. But it was a good thing. Why? Because he sent the comforter. He sent the Holy Spirit. And as every believer this morning needs to know, we, we have the comforter. We have the Holy Spirit. Not only does he comfort us, but he guides and directs us, and he, and he strengthens us, and he enables us to, to fight sin. And he gives us power to not sin. Are you, are you yielding your life to God? Are you pursuing righteousness? Are you grieved when you sin? Are you seeking to know God's Word and know God's commands? Are you praying and asking for God's help and God's empowerment? Are you quick to confess your sin to God when you sin and ask for His forgiveness? And are you pursuing obedience? Those are marks of a believer. Those are marks of a true follower of Christ. You might be here this morning and realize that some of these things are not true of you. If you're an unbeliever with us today, I want you to know that you can know Christ. You can know Christ. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Would you please? Bow your heads. As we prepare to to sing a, a closing song this morning, I want you to think with me and I want to pray for all of you and pray with you. I especially want to talk to, to those who may not be believers this morning. If you're an unbeliever with us today, you should know that you can know Christ today. You need to know that if you've never confessed your sin, that you're a sinner. You've confessed, If you've never confessed to God, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. If you've never said that to God, that's where you need to begin. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ and said, Lord, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, I believe in Jesus Christ, you need to do that. You can know Christ today. He'll begin a work in you. He will make you a new creation. And you will truly be born again. If you're an unbeliever today, I want to encourage you. I'd love to speak with you. I'd like to talk with you and share with you how you can know Christ you can, you can trust Christ right, right where you're at today. I, I would challenge and encourage you not to put it off. Pray right now before God. God, I, I'm a sinner. I can't, be, I can't save myself. There's nothing I can do to save myself. I confess my sin. And Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me to save me from my sins. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I want to know Him. If you're an unbeliever today, you can do that. I I pray that you will. If you're a believer today and you struggle with sin, you need to know that you're not alone. Believers struggle with sin, don't we? Be broken over your sin. Confess your sin to God. Pray and ask for His help and guidance. Pursue knowing His Word. Pursue righteousness. Ask for God's help. Ask for God's forgiveness when you sin. Ask for His help in conquering that sin in your life. And then pursue obedience. I want to pray for each of you this morning. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your love, for Your guidance, for Your direction, especially for Your gift of Christ. Christ the righteous. Our propitiation. Father, we're so thankful that Jesus Christ willingly accepted, and took on Himself our punishment. The punishment we deserve. Father, I pray for believers this morning that You would help each one of us to pursue righteousness. Father, I pray that You would break our hearts and make us guilty when we sin. Lord, I realize guilt is a gift from God. I pray that You would use that in our lives to to help us to realize when we've sinned and done wrong. And then, Lord, help us to be broken about it and to confess that sin and to get right with You and ask for Your forgiveness. Lord, help us to be grounded firmly in Your Word. Help us to pursue Your your truths and to know Your commands. And then, Father, help us to yield before You as we pray, truly yielding and humbling ourselves before You because we know You resist those who are proud, those who rebel against You, but You give grace to those who humble themselves before You. So, Lord, give us that grace to humble ourselves before You and to yield to Your commands, and help us to pursue obeying You. Lord, we realize that we will not be perfect the sight of heaven, but Lord, help us to be more Christ-like day by day, and assure us of our salvation, Lord. We thank You for that precious gift of assurance. Lord, for the unbeliever today, realizing that they don't know You, Realizing, realizing that they need You, help them to humble themselves and confess their sin and, and tell You that they believe in Jesus Christ and to trust in You today. Father, we thank You for Your Word and the blessings that abound there and the encouragement that You give us and the strength that You give us to obey You. Help us to obey. Take us from this place today. Take us into this community in which we live to live for You to worship You in the way that we live, to bring great glory to You so that others might know the truth, of the saving power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.